This Week at Hope Point. Are you overwhelmed with waves of affliction today? Jesus says, come. If you have drunk deep the cup of sorrow, Jesus says, come to me. For those that groan, Jesus says, come. For those that hurt, Jesus says, come. There is rest with Jesus. So come. With all of these burdens, Jesus says, come. Go no longer to the world, world for rest. Come to me with all of your sins and all your sorrows, with all your blemishes and all your pain. There is no redemption or conquering of sin but by Christ's rest. This is the promise of God. Our hearts are longing for rest. We tend to look for it in all the wrong places. But Christ's prescription for all of life's worries and hardships is simply come. Let's listen to Dan as he tells us how to come to Christ and rest. So the, the pandemic has taken a uh, significant toll on our mental health, right? According to the Sleep Foundations, researchers reported that rates of depression have tripled during the pandemic. The chronic stress of living through uncertain times have produced fatigue across the board. And I looked up the Mayo Clinic defines fatigue as a nearly constant state of weariness that develops over time. People are weary. The bottom line is that the pandemic has increased our need for rest. This morning, my text is Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And based on this text, I've titled my sermon, A Theology of Rest. Theology is a term that we use to describe the study of God. So this morning, we're going to learn about God by way of learning about rest. Why we need rest, how to get rest, how to experience rest more often, and how rest relates to work and and so on. Now, this is not a sermon unpacking the benefits of a good Sunday afternoon nap, although I love a good Sunday afternoon nap. It's not a sermon about sleep. This is a sermon about rest. However, it's not a sermon that favors rest over work. It's not a sermon that demonizes work. Work is from God and is therefore fulfilling. Ultimately, this is a sermon about Christ. Because having a proper theology of rest will not only sustain you, but it will save your soul. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, right? And I can't think of a better way to start off the Advent season than to consider how with the advent of Christ came the advent of rest. So a theology of rest. And maybe my clicker is not working. There it is. I don't know if I did that or the guys in the back, but a theology of rest, how the soul finds rest in Christ. Let's read the text together. Matthew 11, this is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wasn't lying when I said this text is about Christ. It's soaked with him, right? You'll notice three commands in these verses and they all relate to Christ. He says, first, come to me. Command two, he says, take my yoke upon you. And command three, he says, learn from me. Christ says, come to me. Take up my yoke and learn from me. This is a proper theology of rest. 
The overarching lesson in these verses is that when we obey these commands, come, take, and learn, we get rest. So when you think of rest, then what you need to do is think of Christ. When you need rest, what you really need is Christ. I'll say it like this, behind your need for rest lies your need for Christ. That is today's sermon. We could, we could quit here, but let me unpack it in more detail. So Jesus begins his theology of rest with an imitation. He says, come to me. Beautiful words, soothing words. The invitation to rest is an invitation to come to Christ. This is where we start. This is the divine prescription for all of your ills. Everything that pains us is soothed in us coming to Christ. Charles Spurgeon said that this was Jesus' favorite word, come. Christ's invitation to the weary and the burden is not go and do, but simply come. This is God's desire for you. That's why I call it a theology of rest. What we learn about God is that God's desire through all, all of scripture is this, come to me. This is not a new concept with the advent of Christ. God has been saying this all along, come to me. Look what Isaiah 55, God says, come. He's been saying this since the Old Testament. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's free. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently. There's this idea of learning again, even in the Old Testament. And eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and what? Come to me here that your soul may live. Since the Old Testament, God has been screaming, come to me because we are prone to go to the wrong things for rest. We've all tried it. And God wonders, why? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? God says, come to me and live. He's saying that this morning. In Matthew 11, Jesus is saying the same thing that God has always been saying. The thing you want, the thing you need is found in your coming to Christ. Now notice Jesus doesn't say, come to the law. He doesn't say, come to the scripture. He doesn't say, come to church. And, and I'm not pitting Christ against these things, but if you're not looking for Christ in these things, you will not find rest. Christ gave us scripture so that we could come to him. Christ fulfilled the law so that we could come to him. Christ gave us the church so that we could come to him. So what does it mean to come to Christ? What does Jesus mean when he says, come to me, right? Because this is the thing we want to do if we want to find rest. What does he mean when he says, come to me? When Jesus says, come to me, this is the gospel call. It's not a physical approach to Christ, but an exercise of faith. Coming to Christ as commanded in Scripture is to believe in Christ. It's to put your trust fully on Christ. It's to believe what he says about himself. It's to trust that he is the only way back to God. It's to place your hope for his plan for your life, even if that plan is hard. 
It is to forsake all of your self-reliance and self-righteousness and depend completely on Christ. This is what it means to come to Christ. It's synonymous with believing in Christ. Rest for your soul is found in coming to Christ by faith. This is the invitation today. Come to Christ. Now, if this is the invitation, to whom is the invitation addressed? He tells us, come to me. Who? Who is invited to come to Christ? All who labor and are heavy laden. ESV translates this labor. Most of the other translations translate it weary. So don't think work, think weariness. All who are weary and are heavy laden, Jesus says, come to me. So the only prerequisite in coming to Christ is need. No one is omitted here. All who are burdened, weighed down, troubled, tired at the end of their rope are welcome here. So what is implied is this recognition that you need Christ. You recognize that you need rest. There's something in you that says, I need this rest. The only ones not invited are the ones who think they don't need rest are the ones that think they don't need Christ. So what is it that we labor for so hard in this life? What is it that brings about this weariness that Christ speaks of here? What is it that weighs us down? So when you study the context here, most scholars group our burdens into three broad categories. All of our weariness, all of our troubles can be traced back to these three burden-producing categories. And if you're like me, then your weariness is sort of stirred up by a mixture of all three. Different days, you, you, you're, you're burdened by different things. Your anxiety is stirred up by all three. The first one is in the immediate context, the burden of the law. The burden of the law. If you've not been around church long, following the law is the Old Testament way of saying you're trying to earn your way to heaven. That if you just do enough good things and avoid the bad things, that you can make it to heaven. Jesus says, this is a burden too heavy to bear because you cannot earn your way to heaven. Believing that, that your goodness is enough to find favor with God is a lie. Many of us here have tried that, and it is tiring, right? You live in a constant feeling of anxiety, wondering if God loves you today because you messed up, right? Or you're always trying to impress the right people and you're trying to live up to this perfect picture of the Christian life and it is tiring. It feels a lot like chasing after the wind. Christ says to the legalists here today, cast off that burden and come to me. Stop carrying that heavy burden of the law because I carried it for you. The second burden producing category is the burden of sin. The burden of sin. Many of us here are oppressed with the sense of your own sin. Many here feel the, the weight of your sin. You feel what it has done to you. You feel what it has done to your family. You feel what it has done to God. If you feel the crushing weight of your sinfulness today and you've never come to Christ, the good news is that you can today. All of your guilt that you feel, Christ carried it and nailed it to the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. So that now today, Jesus says, come to me and get rest from that guilt. The devastating fact is, though, that all are sinners, but not all feel the weight of their sin. 
So listen to me. Worse than being a sinner and feeling the weight of your sin is being a sinner and feeling no burden of it. When you feel the weight of that sin and that that feeling of guilt, that's the first step to the cure. Because then you begin to recognize that you need somebody to lift that weight off of you. You begin to recognize that you need rest. And Jesus invites those that recognize that to himself. For the ones who already have come to Christ, you don't feel fear condemnation, but you, you groan under the remaining sin that's in your life, and you, like Paul, say, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is the same, Christ. He says, come to me. Come to me daily, and he will give you rest. The last burden-producing category that we can group our burdens into is the burden of suffering or burden of affliction. For reasons unknown to you, the heavy hand of God is on your life causing great suffering. And like the psalmist in Psalm 88, you say, to God, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you're overwhelming with all of your waves. Are you overwhelmed with waves of affliction today? Jesus says, come. If you have drunk deep the cup of sorrow, Jesus says, come to me. For those that groan, Jesus says, come. For those that hurt, Jesus says, come. There is rest with Jesus. So come. With all of these burdens, Jesus says, come. Go no longer to the world, world for rest. Come to me with all of your sins and all your sorrows, with all your blemishes and all your pain. There is no redemption or conquering of sin but by Christ's rest. This is the promise of God. And when we come to Christ, we get the reward, and the reward is rest. That's how he finishes verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, Jesus says, will give you rest. The reward for those who respond to Christ's invitation to come is rest. We get Jesus' rest. So when I study scripture and I'm studying for this sermon, I always have these questions. And and my question here sort of stopped me was, what does it mean to have rest, right? Because this is especially important for those that suffer. You might say, like I have said on occasion, I've come to you, Jesus, but my suffering continues. So how are we to understand this promise if the pain continues? How are we to understand this promise if the suffering doesn't stop? How are we to understand this promise if the work never ceases? Because that's the reality that we live through. What does it mean to have rest in Christ? The rest Christ is referring to here is both immediate and eternal. We know it's eternal because the next verse calls it soul rest. We also know it's rest for the right here and the right now because Jesus is calling us to come to him now and get this rest from all of these burden-producing categories that we just talked about. Jesus gives us present rest for these burdens. So I go back to the question, what does it mean to have rest? How do we get this immediate rest? What does it mean to get this immediate rest? The present rest that Jesus is referring to here is not total stoppage of work, total stoppage of suffering, total stoppage of pain. That's not the kind of rest Jesus is referring to when he talks about this immediate rest. There is eternal rest coming, but this, is, this immediate rest is a slightly different. 
The Greek word that is translated rest here is also translated refresh in other parts of the New Testament. And I think that'll give us a better sense of the meaning of what Jesus has in mind here. When Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, he doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. We must understand this. Scholars define rest this way based on its usage in the New Testament. To cause one to cease from labor in order to recover and collect strength. In order to recover and collect strength. The present rest we receive from Christ in the right here and the right now is the type of rest that allows us to collect our strength to fight another day, to fight another hour, to fight another minute through the pain and the suffering and the sin that's in our lives and is around us. Physical rest works the same way, right? We get that good Sunday afternoon nap. We get that good night rest, and it sustains us. It gives us energy to go on to the next day or the next several hours. Think of it this way. We go to Christ the first time to get eternal rest for our souls. We continue to go to Christ on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis to continue to find refreshment to battle through the next hour, the next minute. This is what it means to have rest. These moments of refreshment that we find daily in Christ are a foretaste of heaven's eternal rest. So here I come to another question then. How do we find this daily rest, this minute by minute rest? How do we experience the rest of Christ more often? I believe Jesus unpacks this for us in the next verse. He says it like this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. I want to focus on the reward first, because we've already talked about rest in the previous verse, but I also want to talk about rest in this context, but I think it helps us understand how we get to this daily, minute-by-minute rest. You notice that in the verse... Christ says it a little bit differently than in verse 28, does he not? He says, do these two things. Take my yoke, learn from me, and you will what? Find rest, right? Verse 28, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Verse 29, he says, take and learn from me and you will find rest. Charles Spurgeon suggests that the verse 28 rest is given by faith. That is your salvation Come to me and get rest. Come get it. It's free. Verse 29 rest is that daily experience of rest that we find in Christ as you yoke to him in obedience and discipleship. So take my yoke upon you. Think think obedience to Christ and learn from me. Think discipleship. Let's unpack these in a little bit more detail, right? So he says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus is using this imagery of a large wooden frame that controls working animals. I got a picture for you. He's using this imagery, a yoke. This would have been equal to a burden, right? When people think of yoke, they think of burden. So Jesus is contrasting the burden that people carry, maybe from verse 28 that we talked about, with his burden. He's saying, throw off that old burden and take mine. But how is Jesus' burden different from all these other burdens that he's asking us to throw off. He says it in verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoking yourself to Christ is submitting yourself to Christ. It's following in his footsteps. 
It's taking up your cross and following him. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm thinking, really? Really, Jesus? Easy? Ask missionaries if it's easy. Ask your staff if it's easy. You have experienced difficulty as well. You remember when Paul called the suffering of this present world light and momentary in 2 Corinthians? Paul called our affliction light and momentary when he compared it to the eternal weight of glory that was coming. Paul could call it light and momentary when he, when he compared it to the weight of glory that was coming. Paul must have learned this perspective from Christ. Christ is not saying that it is easy to obey and follow him. He is saying when comparing his yoke to the yoke of the law, the yoke of sin, the yoke of suffering without Christ, in comparison to that, his yoke is easy and light. But I say, why any yoke at all, right? Why not no yoke? That sounds light to me, no yoke. I'll sign up for that one. What we have to understand is that everyone is yoked to something. Everyone is a slave to something, Jesus tells us in John 8. Jesus' yoke, however, is the only yoke that will give you rest. His yoke is a yoke of love. Secondly, it's Jesus' yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. The lightness of the yoke is found in whose yoke it is. When Jesus describes it as his yoke, you can maybe think of it as he's the owner of it, and he's, he's saying, here, I own this. I'm going to put this yoke on your neck. That's one way to think of his yoke. Or you, you could think of it as he's, he has this same yoke, and he's asking you to join, join him in his yoke. This is what Jesus means in this passage, take my yoke upon you. Many times a farmer would use a yoke, and when he would use a yoke, he would yoke a stronger, more experienced animal with a weaker, less experienced animal. The younger, weaker animal would learn, learn obedience while yoked to the stronger, more experienced animal. This is the picture of taking up Christ's yoke. It's not a yoke he makes you carry by yourself. This is why he calls it easy and light, because he's carrying the heavy end of the load. Jesus' yoke is not lighter because he demands less, but because he bears the load. He bore the load of the law. He bore the load of your sin and your guilt. He bore the load of ultimate suffering. All this he carries, and we simply join him in his yoke. And the second command he gives us here is learn from me. Learn from me. Gain knowledge from Christ. The Greek word translated as learn here is related to the same Greek word used for disciple in other parts of the New Testament. So how do we experience rest? Be a disciple of Christ. Learn from him. Diligently study Christ. Be a disciple of Christ. John Piper says, do you want to become holy? If you do, watch Jesus a lot. We learn from Christ about Christ. That, that's the difference from what we, when we normally learn something. Christ is not teaching us about some other subject. We look at Christ to learn of Christ. 
Christ is both the teacher and the lesson. He is both the, the instructor and the curriculum. He is both the guide and the path. We join him in his yoke and look at him and learn and say, show me, show me Christ, show me how to be more like you. That's what we're doing in his yoke. And what is the promise? You will find rest for your souls, point blank, period. Here we find rest. Now I could try to persuade you that this is the path to rest, but nobody gets excited about putting on a yoke and going to school and learning, right? Because of this, Jesus gives us motivation to do this, and he tells us something very personal about himself. Look what he says. Take up my yoke, or take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. Why? Why would we want to do this? Why do we want to take up another yoke and learn from Christ? He says the motivation is because I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's a very interesting way to motivate us to take up his yoke, isn't it? When someone tells you what's in their heart, they are telling you who they are at their core. Jesus is telling us who he is at his core here. And he says, I'm gentle and lowly. Your heart in this respect is the center of your being. And Jesus describes himself, who he is at his core, as gentle and lowly in order to motivate us to take up his yoke and learn from him. His burden is light because he's gentle with sinners. His yoke is easy because he is humble. We've all, we've all worked with, with, with or worked for or been around somebody that's not humble, right? That's, that's dominant and not gentle. And the, think of the level of anxiety that, that stirs up and it's almost paralyzing, right? Now contrast that with somebody that you're around that's gentle and humble and, and the sort of comfort that that brings to you when you're around that person, right? Now take that to the infinite level and there you find Christ's gentleness and lowliness. He has compassion with those of us who are slow to learn. He is gentle with those of us who are slow to obey. He bears with those of us who tend to forget him. He doesn't get angry with immature Christians. This is our savior. Gentle and lowly. However, gentle and lowly doesn't mean that he never got angry, he never took a stand against sin, right? Jesus would flip some tables, right? And he would get angry at the religious bullies of his day, right? Christ's anger, righteous anger, was always towards those who claimed to be followers of God, but in reality knew nothing of his grace and mercy. But with the, with the sorrowful, with the broken, with a penitent, gentle and lowly. Neither does gentle and lowly mean that he was afraid of death. In fact, it was his very humility that took him to the cross. Paul tells us in Philippians that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So gentle and lowly does not mean soft or weak or scared. Jesus is none of these things. What he is at the center of his being is gentle 
and lowly. And Dane Orland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he said that this is the only place in Scripture that Jesus reveals who he is at his core, right? All over the Gospels, we hear him saying that he is God, he has the same characteristics as God. But this is the only place where he describes his heart, who he is at his core. Gentle and lowly is our Savior. Is that not attractive to you? Does this not make you want to yoke yourself to him? Does this make you, doesn't this make you want to watch and learn and wonder from him? He is not harsh. Dane Ortland says it this way. The posture most natural to Christ is not a pointed finger, but open arms. As sinners, we need a gentle savior. As outcasts, we need a lowly God. Isn't that an interesting way to describe God? And Jesus says, I'm lowly. Lowly here means humble. Someone of lowly estate. You see, you might look at Jesus as God and think he's unapproachable. In all of his holiness, in all of his splendor, there's no way I can get near to him. But Jesus says, I'm lowly. Based on the way you've been treated by the world, you believe that Jesus is going to treat you the same way given his holiness. Not so. Not so with Jesus because he's lowly. Lowly means he's accessible, that he's approachable by all who want him. Don't let the enemy lie to you about who Christ is. When Jesus calls himself lowly, it means just come. He's calling you to come. He's accessible. He's approachable. You don't have to clean up your life to come to him. You don't have to get better before going to him for rest. Your messy, messed up life is what qualifies you to approach him for rest. That's what he means here. For all who are laboring are heavy laden. Come. He loves to love you like that. He loves to love you like that. He loves to love sinners. When certain characteristics live at the core of our being, we love to express those characteristics. The same is true for Jesus. Christ uses these core characteristics of his heart as motivation for us to take up his yoke and learn from him. Because I am gentle and lowly at heart, he says. His lowliness and gentle spirit should draw us into his yoke. You know why? Because the law is not gentle. Sin is not gentle. Suffering is not gentle. But Jesus is. Jesus takes time with sinners. He doesn't cast them off. His usual default position is gentle and lowly, and he wants to be that way with you today. Wait no longer. Run into his gentle embrace with all of your sins and all of your dirtiness and all of your damaged heart. He will be gentle with you. And when you screw up again and again, the same gentle Savior is there to embrace you again and again. 
His infinite holiness is matched by his infinite gentleness. Would you come to Christ today and find rest for your soul? We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.